We're glad that you're here. If you're a guest, no, we're delighted you're worshiping with us here at Northside Baptist Church. We'd invite you to tear the side off your bulletin and uh, fill out the information on that tab and uh, drop that in the offering plate. Tell us a little bit about yourself so we can have an opportunity to uh, minister to you and uh, have a chance to know more about you as well. Right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you look around and see someone you don't recognize or maybe you haven't seen in a while, go say good morning, and we'll continue to worship together here in just a couple of moments.
thank you for this amazing time of praise and worship that we have with you this morning. Just ask that you would be with Pastor Brian as he brings your word here shortly. Just ask that you would just take these tithes and offerings to further your kingdom in your heavenly and gracious name. Amen.
invite the kids to come up and have a seat with me. Well, good morning, boys and girls. How's everybody doing today? Good. Well, I asked uh, Mr. Paul and Mr. Bill to do me a big favor today. I asked them to to secure a jet for us from Southwest Airlines. Okay? Uh, I asked them to, to do that, and, and hopefully... Hopefully they were able to pull that off. I'm not sure. You know, they keep it pretty tight. That's not quite the jet I was having. I had in mind, but uh, but let's see here. Let me see that. Let me see that fancy uh, 747 we've got here. Uh, I know Southwest doesn't run 747s, but we'll go with this. Um, so so here we'll just pretend, okay? Since since obviously we don't have a real plane, but let's just pretend that this is a this is a big jet that we've got sitting on the tarmac at Atlanta Airport, and it has agreed to take us anywhere we want to go and see anything cool that we really want to see. So what are some places that if you could get on a plane today and go anywhere that you want, what are some places that you might like to go? Where would you like to go? Legoland. You don't have to get on a plane to go to Legoland. There's one of those in Atlanta. So, okay, uh, but sometimes traffic's bad enough that you might wish you had a plane. Okay, where would you like to go? Colorado. Colorado, okay. Where would you like to go? The Grand Canyon. Uh, over it or in it? Okay, all right. Hopefully not in the plane in it because that's bad, okay? Uh, where would you like to go? To the ocean. All right. Where, anybody else got anywhere exciting? Where would you like to go? To Monkey Joe's? Okay. Hey, big enough plane, we can put Monkey Joe's on the plane. How about that? Where would you like to go? Monkey Joe's. Okay, well, we have a, we, if this was a democracy, we know where we're going. You guys can keep the plane going. Keep the plane parked, okay? Uh, I've always wanted to go to, to like, Australia or, or New Zealand or somewhere like that. That's where I, if I had a plane that could take me anywhere, that's always where I would want to go. Well, here we have a problem, though. Some of you guys want to go to Monkey Joe's. Some of you want to go to Colorado. Some of you want to go to the ocean. We can't go to all those places. So where do we go? Any, why don't we go to the Grand Canyon? Because that's because it's best. That's what you think, Okay. Uh, so, so how would we make this decision? Uh, how, would, how could we figure this out? You know, you know who would be best informed to tell us of where we could go and where we couldn't go? Who do you think would be best informed to tell us? Yes, you could pray and ask Jesus, but I'm going to tell you something. Jesus would say, you probably should listen to the guys who are flying the airplane, right? Because they're the guys that could tell you whether it's possible or not to get an airplane for instance, Monkey Joe's is probably out, okay? Uh, Ashley Park's got a kind of narrow road through there. It'd be hard to get that plane landed there. Um, Colorado, that's definitely possible. Uh, I don't know where you fly into the Grand Canyon. I don't know what airport, but I'm sure there's an airport that gets you, gets you there. Um, the ocean, there's any number of airports that can get you to the ocean. You know what? Australia might be not, uh, we might not be able to go to Australia because their plane might not be big enough to take us to Australia because of enough, not enough gas on it. So that might be out. So I would need to listen to the people who have authority, right? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that we are to submit ourselves to the authority that's placed over us. Well, in our little illustration here, the authority would be the guys that are flying the plane because they're the ones who know best. But there's other authorities in our life as well. For instance, our parents, uh, our teachers, our, our, our aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, uh, Sunday school teachers, our coaches. There's all sorts of people who have authority over us. And it's important that as we follow Jesus that we learn that 
part of following Jesus is learning to, to listen to what those who have authority over us tell us. Okay? So, so maybe one day Mr. Paul and Mr. Bill can get us a plane that actually will fly further than from here to there. Um, but in the meantime, let's just pay attention to those who are in authority over us and learn how to listen to what they're telling us. Okay? Let's pray together. God, thank you for, uh, thank you for the, the authority that you've put in place, God, and, and the call for us to listen to it, God. We don't get to run wild and, and, and do things our own way, God. You've, you've structured authority and put it over us, God. So help us, Lord, to listen to that, whether it's our teachers, our parents, uh, those um, in our family that, that are responsible for us, Lord. Help us to listen to them uh, because we know that as we submit to the authority placed over us, it's, um, it's, it's very much the same way that we submit to the authority that you have over us as well. May we learn that very difficult lesson today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You go to Children's Church. standing for a very short scripture reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 5. I'm only going to read verse 21 today. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. God, thank you for the command in your word to submit to one another. Lord, may we understand this well and be able to speak to a culture that seems to reject that today. Bless us now as we talk about this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Today is going to be a little bit different than what we normally would have on a Sunday morning. This, is, uh, this, this sermon is going to take about five hours to get through. Relax. Uh, we have lunch. For, no, I'm kidding. Relax uh, because, because we're going to break this up over the course of the next few weeks so that each Sunday should only be about an hour long. So, uh, um, so today is an, is an introduction to what is a very long sermon that will cover the rest of chapter 5 and some of the beginning of chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians. Now, 
I'm asking people to use their imagination a lot today, so if you will entertain me this morning, I'm going to ask you to, um, to use your imagination for just a moment. And I want you to imagine that a space alien has landed in our church parking lot this morning. Okay, it's a stretch, I know. Imagine that our alien friend has teleported himself from the parking lot to the front here, and he has declared, I come in peace. Now, I recognize that space aliens never come in peace, but this one this morning is more like E.T. and less like Independence Day. Our new extraterrestrial friend tells us that he's on a research mission from his home planet, and he wants to understand the human concept of marriage. He says, can you please explain to me the human institution of marriage. I was going to do that like Yoda, but I realized that I'd probably mess it up and offend somebody, so I decided to just go with standard uh, alien English. For the last 100 years, our alien friends have been studying this strange institution of marriage, but all they've been able to discover about marriage is what they've learned about from intercepting our television and what they've been able to search on the Internet. But they've heard that Christians may have some different thoughts than the television and the internet, which brings our friend to us this morning. So obviously we've got some corrections that we're going to need to make in our new friend's understanding of marriage. And so here's the question, how would you explain marriage to our new space-invading friend? These are interesting times in which we live because it seems that all of our human relationships are constantly being redefined. God's estate of matrimony in particular has been plundered by the pillagers of the sexual revolution. It is no longer a sacred covenant between a man and a woman and God for life. Marriage is now a mere legal contract between two consenting adults, at least for now. The number and age of consent may be a changing in the near future. Once it was the exclusive jurisdiction of the church, marriage is now a government institution that is only official when it is blessed by the government. For now, I am allowed to serve as the officiant of said blessing, and my signature is all that's needed to secure that blessing from our government. But I suspect that that too may sometime change in the future where my signature is no longer sufficient to secure the blessing of government over the institution of marriage. Instead of pursuing marriage today, more and more people are pursuing live-in arrangement, cohabiting with one another for extended long-term periods of time, trial runs, if you will. A fairly new development in this half a century of revolution is that the oldest among us are even joining the act. Derek McDaniel is an expert in the care, caring for the elderly. He wrote in a recent article, what goes on in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, or other large residential congregations of elderly people is a lot closer to what goes on in a spring break hotel than what most people would ever imagine. That, ladies and gentlemen, is where we are today. Not only do we see our romantic relationships being redefined each and every day, today's world encourages people to identify on the basis of feelings and emotions. Empirical facts are no longer the basis of reality. Instead, emotions run the day. If you don't believe me, just examine the use of the word feel today. When someone wants to make a point, they will express that point in the following way. I feel such and such about this thing. I feel this way. I feel that way. We teach our children, little Johnny, tell me how that makes you feel. 
shouldn't we instead be teaching our children how we should think? As a result, bottom line is this, is we have a big mess on our hands as a culture, and our alien visitor is clearly confused. Not only have we lost our direction for the institution of marriage, there are other antagonists at work that indirectly affect our concept of marriage. One, for instance, is, is feminism. It was once a justified effort at ensuring that women were valued and treated as equality, uh, treated with equality in worth, but it's now turned into something that's almost strange and undefinable. Now it's the women's movement. Feminism is hopelessly wrapped up in abortion politics. It's no longer looking for equality in as much as it's looking for superiority. In what seems to be completely irrational, new feminists celebrate both transgenderism and Hugh Hefner, all the while railing against the objectification of women. Explain that to me. That makes absolutely no sense to me from a rational standpoint. Today's feminists reject the idea of meritocracy, where people are paid on the basis of their skill and their work ethic. But at the same time, new feminists refuse to universally condemn Islamic nations that treat women like slaves and possessions. We celebrate that Saudi Arabia finally gave women the right to drive in their own country. Well, if you haven't noticed, the divide between conservative and liberal is growing greater. Also, the divide between the extremes of these gender conversations is also growing much wider. Just in the sense that feminism has done its own share of damage to the institution of marriage, let's not leave out the chauvinist, because it's just the other side of the coin from radical feminism. Men today are never encouraged to grow up. If you listen to some of the music that's popular today, life is celebrated like it's one big, never-ending frat party. The, this pop culture icon who was celebrated by feminists for his selfless efforts at liberating women, Hugh Hefner, spent his life in silk pajamas smoking a cigar, surrounded by women young enough to be his granddaughters in a highbrow brothel that he called a mansion. And that is the goal of the chauvinist male today. In this life, men are sold a lie that they never have to face the consequences of their actions as long as they've got enough money or influence and as long as they never run into one of these feminists that we've mentioned already. They never have to grow up in their speech or their conduct. I once heard someone say about President Clinton back in the 90s that he was a terrible president, but he'd make a great frat brother. Our current president doesn't either, either doesn't have the best record when it comes to speaking about women. So we see these two extremes that are at work in our culture today, and here's this institution of marriage that sits somehow in the middle of these, these extremes. What are we to do? Well, needless to say, our friend is very confused. So we really need to help him out, or help her out, or whatever pronoun our friend would like us to use. Actually, in the middle of this chaos, we really need wise counsel for how we are to speak about these issues. You know, when we revisit the biblical instruction on marriage, we actually find a very pleasant calm in the midst of a very turbulent storm. It, it's turbulent. It, the, 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 the magnitude of the turbulence that this, this is brought about in culture is mind-blowing. But it's truly a shame that Genesis 2.24 seems so foreign to the world today. There God says it very simply, therefore a man 
shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Such a simple, such a simple explanation for what this is to truly be like. It has become so perverted and so perverse in our world today. Yet this is what God's formula is for us. This is the formula that is by God's design, and it is best for our good. So if it's best for us, then how do we get here? If this indeed is best for us, if, if this is God's good design, if this is what people across cultures, across time, across space, if this is what is indeed best for us, then how indeed did we get here? Well, if you paid attention to human history, even your own tendencies, we don't always choose that which is for our best, for our good, do we? We don't always choose those things that are the best for us to eat or the entertainment that's best for us to consume. We don't always choose that which is best for us. So how, in fact, did we get here to this place where upside down seems right side up and vice versa? Well, first of all, we don't heed warnings very well. And we certainly don't learn from our ancestors very well. And what we are watching today is the unfolding of several generations of compounded sin. First of all, I think that this is very much important. The church has fallen asleep at the wheel. The church has fallen asleep at the wheel. We've allowed theological liberalism into our schools and into our churches. We gave it a couple of decades of freedom before we realized what was happening. And all that liberalism that crept into our institutions affected not only entire prominent denominations. I dare you to try to find some sense of, of biblical consistency in some of these mainline denominations that are on the verge of falling apart today. Not only have we seen that liberalism affect entire denominations, but I believe that liberalism affects every church as we all like drifting towards a kinder, gentler Christianity that doesn't challenge us about our own sins and rebellions. If we are worshiping in a church where our toes aren't generally stepped on because of our own sin and rebellion, then we're really not getting what we need to hear as people who have a constant bent towards rebellion. The fact of the matter is, is that when I open the Bible, I recognize that I don't fall, I don't rise to the standard that God has set for me. When I read what God has said in his book, I recognize that I fall short on a regular basis. It is important and imperative that the church today remind us that we do not meet the standard that God has set for us, and it is only by God's grace, and it is only through the gospel that we find any hope whatsoever. We haven't done anything to deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. We are hopeless without Jesus Christ. And when we recognize how hopeless we are apart from Jesus Christ, it really causes us to fall at the foot of the cross and cling to it because we have nothing else that we can cling to. Though we like a, the idea of a kinder, gentler Christianity that doesn't challenge us about sin, that doesn't caution us about our own error and our own folly, the reality is, is that Scripture is full of commands and full of, of warnings and full of danger zones that we need to pay attention to. For too, too long, the church has been asleep at the wheel. Secondly, I believe that our culture has firmly embraced the conditions of judgment found in Romans chapter 1. You read Romans chapter 1, it's not a pretty outlook for humanity as humanity, in order to bring on the conditions of Romans chapter 1, it's very simple. We reject God as creator. Well, guess what today, folks? We've done that wholeheartedly. We've allowed other ideas and other worldviews to creep in 
to the fact that the prevailing view of the world today is not that there is a God who is a creator who has established the boundaries of creation. The prevailing view in the world today is that a, the, I've heard it explained in numerous ways that nothing exploded into something and now everything that exists came from that nothing that exploded a long time ago. How is that rational? How is that plausible? Yet, that is the prevailing view of the world in which we live. It's the prevailing view of the educational institutions that we are part of. That's the prevailing view. You see, when we reject God as the creator, there's no one left to establish the ground rules. And when there are no ground rules, people are left to do whatever makes them feel good or accepted or loved. It's like the time of the judges where there was no king in Israel and people did whatever they wanted. You see, that's what's happening today where things that are, should be objective and things that should be able to be determined by things that, by objective truth, that has been replaced wholesale. So that now people respond to, to feelings and emotions and felt needs because there's no longer any ground rules. And so we wonder how we got to where we got. When you take the creator away, there's no, there's no holding back anything. Thirdly, I think that we're simply witnessing the unfolding of history. Prior to the great world wars of the last century, one of the pervasive ideas about the end of the world is that things are going to generally get better, that, that people were generally going to work it out, that, that the world, the gospel was going to go forth, and lots and lots of people were going to get saved, and eventually there'd be this utopian dream where a majority of the people in the world were followers of Jesus, and there was no more wrong, no more sin, no more error, and the, the, the millennial reign of Christ would be, would be ushered in by all the goodness that's transpired. This was called post-millennialism. But such a view rightly faded out when the carnage and chaos of two world wars unfolded. You see, I believe as our world gets closer to, the, to Jesus' return, it's fairly evident that things are going to get much worse. Uh, I don't see a way around that. As we get closer and closer to Jesus' second coming, it's obvious that things are going to get much better. You see, for a long, long time, there's not always been a clear distinction between those who are Jesus' true followers and those who are not. Friends, if you can't see that that distinction, that dividing line is getting brighter and wider as we speak, then you're not paying attention to the world around you. That dividing line between those who follow Jesus and those who don't is getting greater and greater to notice. And there will come a day where it will be very evident where the sheep and where the goats are grazing. There's coming a day where it won't be difficult to know the difference. There's coming a day where those who are on the side of the Lord will be on one side and those who are opposed to him will be on the other. I think it's inevitable that we see these things transpire around us. So what do we do? If it's inevitable, if, 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 this, if this trajectory can't be changed, well, what do we do? Well, I'll say it's very tempting to bar the windows and lock the doors and hunker down until we hear the trumpet. Amen? Wouldn't that be easier? Bar the windows, lock the doors, nobody's leaving, nobody's coming in, and we'll just hang tight. We'll enjoy what we've got while we've got it, and we'll just sit tight until Jesus returns, the trumpet sounds, and we'll be good to go. That sounds much easier. It's much easier to do that, but I don't think that's what our calling is. There's an old hymn that goes like this. O land of rest, for thee I sigh, when will the moment come 
when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home. I like that plan. But to get there, what do we have to do? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. And we'll be gathered home. So we see a world that's falling apart. We see this, this irrationality that has taken hold. We see this taking place around us, but our call as Jesus' followers is to keep our hands to the plow. We maintain the course. We teach truth. We do whatever we can to rescue those who have been broken and devastated from the chaos around us. You don't have to look far to find brokenness and hurt that has been left over as a result of this, of this terrible thing that's going on in our culture today. You don't have to look hard to find those who have been devastated. But in order to be that church in this desperate time, in order to be that church, then we have to know what the truth is. We have to know what we believe. We have to know what God's standard is. And when we talk about what marriage looks like, we have to be able to articulate that. So consider this a very long introduction to the simple words of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says, very simply, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, hang, hang on just a minute. This verse is immediately challenging when you take it out of context because there's a huge question lingering over this command. How do we submit to one another? How do we submit to one another? Right away, right out of the gate, we've hit an obstacle. Because you see, submitting to one another sounds like my wife and I trying to figure out what to eat for dinner. <laughs> She's laughing. She knows. It, it sounds like us trying to figure out what we're going to eat for dinner. Because here's my heart, and she knows this about me. In my heart, I truly, absolutely, with every fiber of my being, want her to enjoy what we're going to have for dinner whether it's at home or whether it's out. And it doesn't matter, uh, unless it involves some sort of frou restaurant and that kind of thing, and that's where the, the, the submission stops. Uh, <laughs> I truly want to enjoy her to enjoy dinner, okay? Truly. Honestly, I would rather eat something that's not my favorite because I want her to be pleased with what we have for dinner. Very simple. Now, my wife, on the other hand, between 89 and 99% of the time, I'm still trying to figure out the percentages, she just wants me to make a decision. Unless that decision involves Golden Corral or, or Captain D's or something like that. She just wants me to make a decision. She just wants me to say, this is what we're doing. This is the plan. I just want her to be happy. There have been many a days, many a days, where far more time than necessary is spent making a decision because in mutual submission there is an obvious lack of leadership. In mutual submission there is a lack of leadership. You see, in submitting one to another, this is not suggesting that there should not be leadership. 
This is not suggesting that there's not order, that there's not structure, that there's none of those things that make the world function. That's not what mutual submission is. Because we understand this, submission occurs within the boundaries of God's established structures and God's established laws. If you want to know what's driving my thought process over the next few weeks, it's this statement right here. Submission occurs within the boundary of God's established structures and God's established laws. What does that mean? That means that if there is a person who is supposed to be subordinate to another person and the one who is superior asks the subordinate to do something that goes against God's laws or goes against God's structures, then that's where submission ends. If I ask my wife to do something immoral or ungodly, she's no longer expected to be submissive to me. If the government asks me to do something that goes against my trust and my conviction and my faith in Jesus, then that's where my submission ends. If I parent my children and I ask my children to do something that's ungodly, illegal, or immoral, that's where their submission ends. Submission rightly occurs within the boundaries of God's established structures and God's established laws. So, in showing mutual submission, do we show deference to other people? We sure do. We sure do. We show deference to other people. In mutual submission, do we show concern for other people? Absolutely. Absolutely. In mutual submission, do we put others' needs ahead of our own? Yes. Yes. But at the end of the day, there is a necessary establishment of order and authority in every human institution at the end of the day someone has to say this is the direction we're going at the end of the day the pilot has to say I can't fly the plane to monkey joes but I can certainly get you to Colorado someone has to lead at the end of the day this is true in the marriage relationship it's true in the parenting relationship it's true in the employment relationship, and it's true in the institution of government. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at these relationships as Paul explains them to us here in Ephesians, and we're going to consider how submission and sacrifice works itself out in our day-to-day -day life. And we're going to find that there is a Christian model of submission and sacrifice, which is exactly what our world needs to hear today. Submission is not the invention of a male chauvinist. And sacrifice is not the invention of a, of a liberal feminist. They're biblical institutions that God has given to us so that we can speak truth to a world that's lost its mind as it has lost its way. Well, what's our perfect model? Well, we look at the Trinity. We see equality within the Trinity, right? Is any branch of the Trinity greater than the other? No, they're equal. They're all equal. Uh, this is a paradox. It's hard to understand. I don't pretend to think that the Trinity is something that we just got it nailed. I promise you that once you've got it figured out completely, you're probably a heretic. It's, they're equal, but we also see submission within that equality because Jesus acknowledges that he is the Son of God. He is equal with the Father, yet he still shows deference to the Father. He even says, not what I want, but what thy want. Uh, not my will, but your will. Even within that equality, that perfect equality of the Trinity, we still see that there is, there is order and there is submission, deference. Here's the thing. Our alien friend, remember him? There he is. He's not an alien. 
He's not an ET or an Independence Day because he represents a huge segment of the population today of people who simply don't understand. They're listening to voices that aren't true, and they've never had a reasonable Christian explain what a biblical perspective is on submission and sacrifice. They've heard the arguments of the feminists. They've heard the arguments of the chauvinists. They've seen the grossest of people at work, and they've never had a caring Christian actually take time to explain what this really means. And I think it's time that the church be sure that it's got a word to share. Here's the thing. We've not always done a good job of explaining ourselves. Shock, right? We've not always been great at communicating to the culture. We've let people run wild with our scriptures without answering them. If I hear some other liberal talk about submission in Ephesians chapter 5, I may blow a gasket because that's not what it is. Submission's not a four-letter word. We've got to stop letting people run wild with our texts without answering them with truth. And our kids are embracing these goofy worldviews. Not because they're superior to a biblical worldview. I promise you that if you will set a worldview that's based in Scripture up against any other worldview, that the worldview that's based in God's Word will win in a marketplace of ideas 100 out of 100 times. They're not losing it because, because something better is out there. They're losing it because we're not doing a great job of equipping them to deal with the challenges that they're going to face. What is the young man supposed to do when a, when a feminist professor calls him a chauvinist because he believes in biblical submission and sacrifice? What's he supposed to do? What, what's supposed to happen when, when a, a young lady shows up in a women's studies class not knowing what she got into and that women's studies professor says, oh, you're so wrong to be thinking this way? What are we supposed to do? We've got to make sure we're equipping them so that they know how to deal with the challenges that they're going to face. But not only that, we've got to start learning how to show deference to others. Isn't it true, though, how we can sometimes be the most selfish of people? We can sometimes be the most selfish of people. If we as God's followers would learn to just start considering others, what a difference it might make in the world today. What are their needs as opposed to my own? How can I serve them without being served? For even Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. How can I love those folks when they're not always being lovable? How can we learn to submit to one another out of our love for Jesus and out of our respect for the authority and the law that he's put, put us in? How can we learn to do that? Well, it starts by us looking around and realizing that everyone around you this morning is just as important in the Lord's eyes as you are. Everyone around you here is just as important as you are. Nobody here is more important. Nobody here is less important. The person who makes the least money is just as important as the person who makes the most money. The person with the greatest gift is just as important as the person who has the least gift. We show submission to each other because we recognize that each and every single one of us are valuable to the Lord and 
valuable in his sight. Precious creatures created to love him and to honor him. And so let's begin as we think through families and work relationships and those sort of things in the coming weeks. Let's begin by learning to submit to one another out of our love for Jesus. You pray with me, please. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for a powerful verse that could easily be taken out of context. But in the context of the word, in the context of Paul's instructions here, we recognize that biblical submission is a beautiful thing. God, we are living in a world today where folks are losing their minds, where rational thought is a, is a, is a fleeting concept, where people will believe anything without checking it against fact and truth, where people will follow their feelings before they ever think through what they're, what they're doing. God, help us today to know what truth is, to articulate it well, and to be open and available and eager to rescue folks who've been beaten up and bloodied in the craziness of our culture. Thank you for truth, God, without any mixture of error which is contained in your word. And thank you, God, that what you've given us will stand up and against anything that the world has to offer. God, we win the marketplace of ideas because our ideas come from you and have been written down for centuries in your word. And they're perfect because their author is perfect. God, thank you for the call mutual submission in the confines that you put it in within the structures and laws that you've given us. Help us, God, to work that out in our day-to-day life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation, time of commitment. If you'd like to pray, you're welcome to do that. Uh, maybe there's somebody in your life who, who maybe their thought process is, is a little haywire. Maybe you're the person who needs to maybe work to start, uh, start helping them understand that. Uh, maybe time to pray for them. Let's stand together and sing and respond as the Lord would lead. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise And to know the saith the Lord Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him been good to worship Jesus today, amen? Uh, next week's fall break, so uh, so we kind of got a modified schedule next week in terms of Sunday nights and things like that, so do pay attention to the bulletin therein. You are going to be out of town next week. I would encourage you 
as I said, I'm not kidding about this being a five-hour sermon. So you're, if you're out next week, you're going to want to tune in on the, on the Internet to catch up so that when you show up in three weeks, you, you didn't miss something. So, so do pay attention to that. If you're listening online this morning, uh, just make sure that, uh, that you're paying attention throughout all this because uh, we don't want you to miss something. Uh, again, when you only get a piece of something, uh, it's easy to take that, to take that and, and get that out of context, and we don't want that to happen. So do pay attention to all this series. It'll take about four weeks for us to get through it. Uh, what were you going to say? Deadline for Youth Winter Extreme Conference. We're planning for January, so, uh, so be, be sure to see BJ if you, uh, if you haven't taken care of that already. Uh, I believe Mike Edson is going to come up and dismiss us in prayer, so, uh, so Mike, will come up and let us go. Well, I can't just come up with a prayer. i got to say something. Uh, I was just thinking about how to close today, and I, I'm kind of torn between two themes as you say because the singing the choir the praise band was so inspiring to me today and I I thank God for for letting us sing praises to him and it's it's one of the reasons for us being here to sing praises to our wonderful father and also to to thank Brian for bringing a good message that we need to we need to carry with our heart and express in our world every day. Uh, join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you through through singing, singing with all our hearts and souls, singing praises to you and giving thanks for all that you do for us each and every day. Help us to understand the Bible, to, to not just read it, but to put it into play in everyday life when we run across the, the crazy, crazy world we are living in, and to stand up for your word, to show with example of how a marriage should be, how our lives should be conducted. You've blessed us so much. Let us extend that blessing to others and submit to one another within your boundaries. Give us a great day and give us great fellowship. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.